You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Inside and outside the Fox 59 CBS 4 Podcast Studio, this is the Colts Blue Zone Podcast. I am here inside the studio. Joe Hopkins is here inside the studio. Finally, at long last, after months apart, Joe, they cannot keep us away from each other. It feels good. It feels good to be back. Our studio's getting moved around a little bit as we shuffle things um, because of COVID, but any any little bit of normalcy that I can regain, I'm in favor of. And joining us over the magic of the internet is, of course, Mike Chappell, longtime Colts reporter, Fox59.com, CBS4Indy.com. Check out all of his work there. And uh, Mike, we look forward to the day when you, once again, can join us and we can be a, a trio once again here in studio again. When might that be? I mean, we're talking July, August, September. Who knows? But yeah, it's it's always better to be together. The, the the impersonal aspect of it works, but it's not the same. So the NFL is, of course, working to get back, and they want desperately to be there on time. They would love to have all preseason games, all regular season games, do everything on schedule, as it really has been for the most part. Uh, save kind of the uh, loss of the off-season program. And um, I guess the first thing on the list right now is to get there and to get to um, get to training camp, which just today, Joe, I, it's not on our rundown, but I will say that just today the NFL did announce that they want to do uh, hard knocks with both the L.A. teams, with uh, the Rams and the Chargers. So that's another announcement, you know, that comes that's kind of normal, saying, hey, we want to do this as normal in the past. Yeah, and that um, depending on what happens, that hard knocks episode might be a lot of Zoom a lot of Zoom yeah, meetings, for real. Um, depending on what players are allowed to do. But on a slightly more more serious note, um, COVID nineteen uh, expert Dr. Anthony Fauci has said that uh, football. Uh, well, it's it's a little bit in question. We'll just put it that way. And uh, here here's his quote. Um, he is the um, uh, from the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. Dr. Fauci said, unless players are essentially in a bubble, isolated from community, and they are tested nearly every day. It would be very hard to see how football is able to be played this fall. That's a real shot to the gut, Mike, with um, hearing this from Dr. Fauci. Because, I mean, you you see progression in our communities. You see things opening up. You see sports starting to come back, whether it was NASCAR or IndyCar at the beginning, to the PGA Tour, to other plans with uh, the NBA with their plans, with the NHL with their plans. But... To, to hear that say it, it's hard to see how football is able to be played in the fall, that seems really extreme to me. It was it was jarring to hear that quote. Yeah, and I think what we have to do, first of all, I always consider the source when somebody says something, he's a pretty good source uh, when, it, when it comes to not football, but the health. And, and the, the one thing that's always been in question is, is how will you go about this NBA and and the WNBA, and I guess soccer also, maybe someone else, they're going to do it in the bubble uh, atmosphere to where they're basically quarantined down in Orlando at the, uh, what is it, the Wide World of Sports facility, to where you're in one place for three months. And, you know, probably no in, no out. Very few people can come in and visit. The NFL's not going to be that way. I mean, on their schedule, it's going to be travel. If you're at Jacksonville, you go to Jacksonville. You go to camp, you go to camp at your own facility. Uh, I've texted and, and had conversations with people with the Colts. I've always been the glass half empty guy because I just don't know how you get back to to normalcy in football when when I don't care how good your testing is and how good your tracing is and all that. My question that I've posed to a couple of people at the Colts is, okay, because we've seen uh, college football is trying to get back on. And, and look at the positive tests, Alabama, Texas, uh, uh, Clemson, Houston. W- what happens if if the Colts or any team starts up, goes to camp, and a player, two players, five players test positive? Well, if I'm not mistaken, the way you do the testing is, then you do tracing who that player had contact with. So do you quarantine that player only? Do you quarantine if it's a receiver? Do you quarantine all the receivers? Do you quarantine all the offensive players? Where do you go with it? And I just don't know how you hold a contact sport until you can, like, have a vaccine or whatever. 
one of one of the thing again is I don't know they they've got a, one of the requirements for training camp is players separated by six feet in the locker room. Okay, I understand that, but these players are going to be on the field practicing for two hours in a contact sport. So I I, I applaud the NFL for business as usual, but I need somebody to explain to me how when you have positive tests and you will. How will you deal with it as far as quarantine that guy or quarantine a cluster of players? And the NFL at least did have uh, somewhat of a response to Dr. Fauci's uh, quote uh, in, a, in a statement from the league's chief medical officer, Dr. Alan Stills. Uh, Dr. Stills says, we are developing a comprehensive and rapid result testing program and rigorous protocols that call for a shared responsibility from everyone inside our football ecosystem. This is based on the collective guidance of public health officials including the White House Task Force, the CDC, infectious disease experts, and other leagues. Make no mistake, this is no easy task. We will make adjustments as necessary to meet the public health environment as we prepare to play the 2020 season as scheduled with increased protocols and safety measures for all players, personnel, and attendees. So he's saying that, that they're developing this comprehensive rapid result testing program with rigorous protocols, but... Joe, not exactly letting us in right now on what those protocols are going to be. It's something that they're still, I guess, tweaking and prodding until uh, until the time is necessary to actually let let the public know what those protocols are. Yeah, and I think they're probably going to hold off until the last minute and not make a decision or announcement until they absolutely have to. I mean, they want to do football at all costs. We know the NFL is a money business, and they're going to do everything they can. Um, but I think it's time for fans to start preparing themselves mentally for no football or at least maybe it doesn't start in September or it's not the product you're used to seeing on the field. My other thought when I uh, go go ahead Mike go ahead well, and then let's say you say pushing it back and that's one thing that I may have seen Fauci earlier mention or some other expert is pushing it back really doesn't make sense because then you're getting into that maybe when the second wave comes through. The, the one good thing and we've talked about this before that the NFL has and has had is time on its side. It doesn't have to make the hard decision about, well, not four preseason games, two preseason games. They have time, and they're going to benefit, you would think. How does it work with the NBA? How does it work with with baseball if they ever get their act together? So before the NFL has to play games, they will see how the bubble teams, not the NBA, baseball, but NBA works in, in more of a pristine environment. So, the, again, the N N NFL has time on its side, but in six weeks, that time's going to run out. I, I, I'll, I'll say one thing before we at least start to move on, um, that uh, the, the one thing that hit me the most about the, uh, the quote from Dr. Fauci was saying, um, unless you're in a bubble, isolated from the community, and tested every day, it's hard to see football. I mean, right. the NFL, maybe you can see them getting some kind of a bubble like the NBA seems to do in Orlando. For college football, I mean, there you can you do a bubble at all? You're on a university campus. You have students everywhere, professors, teachers. I, I don't know even, Mike, if that's possible to do for college football. But I'm not sure how you do a bubble atmosphere in the in, in NFL. You're talking 32 teams. It's going to require some travel. And, you know, the, bu the bubble atmosphere is once you get the NBA teams there, you would think that you can start, like, with zero tolerance on, on infection. There's that thing is going to be pristine. It's going to be sterile. But when you're traveling, you know, from Indy to Jacksonville, from New Orleans to wherever, you're going to have contact with outside influences. So, again, th that's why they pay all these guys, the smart guys, the big money. We can talk about it, but they've got a hard decisions to make. And, again, I'll, I'll believe there's this – I want the season as much as anybody. It's what we do. It, it's – we all, like Joe said, we want some form of normalcy, whatever that's going to be. Moving forward, I just I just want to see how they're going to approach it when X number of players test positive and, and how you restrict that player or those players. And we did see, I mean, just this week, even multiple Houston Texans and Dallas Cowboys players Correct. tested positive for COVID-19, according to uh, NFL Network reporters Ian Rappaport, Tom Pelissero. So uh, the, the point that you make remains is how, how's that going to be – uh, reacted to, Joe, when the season actually comes around. And something that the NFL has going against it compared to the NBA is, I mean, those rosters are, what, five times the size of the NBA yes. roster? 
that's so many more people you got to account for, so many more variables that go into um, something as meticulous as contact tracing and and everything that goes into this pandemic. So the NFL, they're trying to play it cool for now, but we're going to see what happens when it's time to make decisions. Right. And the Colts did make a decision just over the past week or so, saying Robert Mathis will be inducted into the team's ring of honor. He is the newest enshrinee into that ring. Uh, the announcement made on Monday. A ceremony is scheduled right now, at least, to be held on Sunday, November 22nd, when the Colts are set to host the Green Bay Packers at Lucas Oil Stadium. Um, it was not not a big surprise with Dwight Freeney going in last year that Robert Mathis would be the next to to get his name called, Mike, since those two were just one uh, A and one B in in terms of not just their uh, on field but their off the field relationships as well and their impact on Indianapolis and this Colts franchise as well. Um, Mathis. Uh, a fifth-round pick out of Alabama A&M. Boy, you don't see too many stud pass rushers get taken in the fifth round, but he was certainly one of them. Uh, Colts were basically the only team that saw him in his normal role at defensive end. Everyone else wanted to move him out, move him out the linebacker, move him to somewhere else. But uh, uh, Mathis certainly proved everyone that, that he belonged. 13 NFL seasons, all with the Colts, five Pro Bowls, the most strip sacks in NFL history, 47. Uh, led the NFL with 19 and a half sacks in 2013. Um, we mentioned Freeney from Syracuse University already in the Ring of Honor, um, but uh, Mike, a, a well-deserved honor for for Mathis, and very much expected. Like I said, after Freeney going in last year. Yeah, there was talk last year that they should have put Freeney and Mathis in together since they were sort of were the Bash brothers. But it's, I understand that, but you really want each one to have his moment. Singularly, instead of uh, you know sharing the honor. So yeah, this was to be expected. And I even talked to Mathis last year about this, and he said, "Yeah, Dwight needs to go in first. So it's a great honor. And I tell you, as far as the one-two punch, I don't know that there's been a more of a tag team, a pass rush tag team over an extended time than what the Colts had, and it was it was instrumental in that success of the 2000s. The offense did its job, got the lead, and more times than not, the fourth the fourth quarter belonged to Freeney and Mathis. And I just see all those games where they, they just they play a position to where they can do so little stat wise for so long in a game, and then over a course of a series or two, they can turn the game around with the you know again you mentioned it's the forty seven strips backs strip sacks by Mathis. That's not a team record. That, that's a that's a league record. Uh, and it's just that knack of the tomahawk chalk in freeing the same, the same knack. So two greatly deserving players and well done for Mathis. And we've talked about this on previous podcasts, Joe, about uh, their, their Hall of Fame chances for both of these guys saying um, that in terms of their number of sacks, they're like right on that precipice, right on that line in terms of guys all time who are either in the NFL, the Pro Football Hall of Fame or not in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So they're tweeners in that aspect. They're very similar in their careers in terms of those types of numbers and their accolades in the NFL, both leading the league in sacks at some point, um, both with with very similar number of sacks for their career. So it, it'll be interesting to see these next couple of years. Obviously, he, uh, Robert Mathis is going into the Colts for Nevada, but it'll be interesting to see. And I'll get your thoughts before going to Mike, who will have more more of an impact on this, but their they're Hall of Fame chances as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm definitely biased, but in my opinion, I think both deserve the Hall of Fame, especially Franey. Um, they're just kind of the candidates that it might take a few years before they get in. I don't think either one. I highly be. doubt. Yeah, they're not first ballot Hall of Fame. Exactly, especially if it took that long for like an Edge and James to get in. Um, I, I think it's going to take time for Franey and Mathis to get in, and I also wonder how much them playing together is going to work against them when it's time to vote. It, it's, that seems to be the case, Mike, that, that uh, you have to argue now and until forever because it's uh, what, what one player, where player did to impact another player's career. That was like, what did Peyton Manning do to impact Edger and James? What did Peyton Manning do to impact Reggie Wayne? You know, on the defensive side too, Robert Mathis and uh, Dwight Freeze certainly had an impact on each other, but both certainly were also great players as well. Yeah, and I, and I, I had to think just from being around and talking to people, I think the perception is that nationally, uh, 
Freeney's considered more the, more the Hall of Fame worthy player than than Mathis, and, and it's not based on the fact he's got a, a, a few more sacks. I, I think that's just the impression we have. And, and how much will each one being sort of? I think Freeney's eligible next year. I think not just coming here, but next year, and then Mathis. How much will they hurt each other? Uh, sort of like with 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 Reggie coming up when when Edgerman was coming up. I. Edgerin's candidacy really impeded uh, Reggie this year, but I think they're both worthy. I'm just I just pulled up the uh, all-time sack leaders. The top one, two, three, four, five, six are in the Hall of Fame. Julius Peppers is not. He's got 159 sacks. Uh, Terrell Suggs 139 sacks. Demarcus Ware 138. Jared Allen, 136. John Abraham, 133. So what's going to really enhance Freeney and Mathis is, I think, is that the Super Bowl is going to matter. Freeney's been to three Super Bowls. Remember the one with Atlanta when somehow they they didn't win against against New England. I still remember being at that Super Bowl, and I, ha- I had my Freeney story done. You know, th- this, is the, this is the pinnacle of Freeney's career. They go out, he goes out on top, and then I hit the – Hit the delete button, thanks to Tom Brady. But th- these are two uh, elite pass rushers who, who at, at the very least, deserve serious discussion for the Hall of Fame. I think one gets in eventually. I'm thinking it's going to be Freeney. But I'd be very hard-pressed to not debate long and hard for Mathis because the NFL Phil's all about doing it at a high level for a long time. He did. He won the Super Bowl. He led the league 19 and a half sacks. I think that's the third or fourth highest total in league history. Uh, their re- resumes are both Hall of Fame worthy. Another. Oh, go ahead, Joe. I was just going to bring it up. You know, I hate to bring it up something negative, but how much do you think? I know that 19 and a half sack year was the year that he had the tested positive for the P. It's relating to the fertility drugs, him and his wife trying to have a child, and he was suspended. How much do you think that would impact, or people are going to hold that against him? Some, probably some. Uh, you, you know, the one thing you don't you don't take into account in the Hall of Fame is off the field problems. This this was on the field. This this was an on the field issue, and then he but he was suspended for was it how many games was it four games? I can't remember. I want to uh, say. But but then at the same time he had that torn uh, Achilles I believe it was to start the season. It, it, it'll give some people pause, but but I I'm one of those who believe naively probably that that they were doing this for the right reason, trying to have another child for uh for for, for their for for Robert's mother. But yes, some, some, there are some hardliners in the room, but I think at, at one point. I don't think that'll keep him out. But I don't think that'll keep Mathis out of the Hall of Fame. If he doesn't get in, it won't be for that reason. Well, another cult going into a Hall of Fame this week is mascot, Blue. We can touch on this. In uh, Whiting, Indiana, the mascot Hall of Fame, if, uh, for all of you who did not know. Uh, Trey Mock has been uh, Blue since 2006, so 14, 15 years now. Uh, Blue participates in over 300 community events per year. You can see him everywhere on game day inside Lucas Oil Stadium. Um, Pacers mascot Boomer is also uh, inducted into the Hall of Fame, but uh, it, my, my, my favorite mascots are still obviously out of the orange, and uh, the Philly Fanatic takes number one as the, the greatest mascot of all time in my mind, but I know people uh, here in central Indiana have grown up with fond memories of both Boomer and, uh, and Blue as well. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, if you don't have Philly the Fanatic as your number one as a Philly guy. Yeah, I don't exactly. Know what you're doing. No, no, uh, that's definitely number one, unquestionably, undoubtedly, and inarguably number one. Yeah. Well, I'll, 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 I'll date myself and I'll disagree. My favorite mascot was Dancing Harry with the paces of the ABA. With uh-huh. uh, d- During breaks, he'd, he'd get out there and dance, he'd do the long, tall glasses. I tell you, a great time I get out of the ABA. I, I go back to the ABA and mascots, and I'll just date myself on that. Dancing hair. I, I must admit, I've never heard of a uh, dancing hair. I might have to cue, cue, cue him up one time, and you'll enjoy, at least initially, and then you get tired of it. Yeah, I, I will. I will. I'll take a look. Joe's bringing up pictures of something else <laughs> called um, Swole Daddy. Swole. I think this is a minor league baseball team. I've just noticed this it recently, like but it is baseball. a buff 
dinosaur um, in a baseball outfit. And I got to say that uh, definitely one of my favorite mascots uh, currently in operation. The small daddy. Interesting. No, I'm going to look at uh, into Dancing Harry for sure. Maybe I'll post something to Twitter later. You can follow me at Dave G underscore sports. Joe is at Roto Street Joe. Mike is at MChapel51. And we, as a group, are at Colts Blue Zone. Be sure to follow us there. Get your Colts news throughout the week, including tidbits like the Colts have finished signing their 2020 draft class. Second round receiver Michael Pittman Jr. and third round safety Julian Blackman signed their contracts this week. So, Mike, now all nine picks are officially under contract for next season and the next couple seasons beyond that. As we've said before, but, but we'll touch on it again, that um, this, this signing draft picks is more of a formality now with uh, how the rookie wage scale in the NFL is uh, put together. But still, it's good to have everybody signed, sealed, and delivered, as, as Colts know. You're, you're, nothing's ever official until it's signed, and, the, and they are signed now. I tell you, I, I'm not going to uh, lie. I, do, I don't miss negotiations prior to the wage scale. When players actually held out, and I go back to Edron James, uh, held out almost the entire camp, and then he wins two league rushing titles, so you know, so much for training camp. And, and the all-timer was Bob Sanders in whatever year that was, two, uh, 2003 or four, whatever it was. He was the last player of the, of the entire draft of the 250-some draft players to sign. So... Uh, the days of sitting in training camp in our hotel rooms and calling agents and calling Bill Pulley and have him, having him cuss out those agents, and I don't miss that. <laughs> I, I forgot to touch on one thing before um, before we move on to a hearing from a second round uh, wide receiver Michael Pittman Jr. and running back Jonathan Taylor. We'll do that in just just a minute. But um, we said Freeney last year to the Colts Ring of Honor, Mathis this year. Uh, Mike, who are the primes? prime suspects, if you will, to maybe get that nod next year to join join those two and everyone else in the ring of honor that, that we could be looking forward for. Well, I put a poll out over the weekend, or over the week, and I, uh, I mentioned Tariq Glenn, Bob Sanders, uh, who was Adam Vinatieri, and then another, whoever else, and it was it tied with Vinatieri and Tariq Glenn. I've been a Tariq Glenn drum beater for a long time. I think he's not been forgotten, but he's greatly underappreciated. And people said, well, he wasn't an elite tackle. Yes, he was. I would, ar- I would argue, and I'll draw hell for this, but as far as being better at his position, I, I-, I think Tariq Glenn was every bit of what Jeff Saturday was at center. And, and everybody assumed Jeff Saturday was a no, was a no doubter. But Tariq Glenn, he- he- I think he was only three Pro, Bowl- Pro Bowls, I think it was. But I can count on one hand the number of times Peyton Manning got splashed from the backside. I don't care about the false starts, won a game, whatever it was. I don't care. Uh, Terry Glenn was an elite left tackle, went out on his own terms. He needs to be the next in. And, Joe, you brought up uh, Mike's uh, stats here on Twitter. Look, tell the people how close this is. I mean, it's it's a dead even. It's a dead even between Vinatieri and Tariq Glenn. Um, of your voting, you had... Vinatieri, Bob Sanders, Tart Glenn, or other. Um, Glenn and Vinatieri both 36.4%. Bob Sanders with 226 Down to the tenth of a percent. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I kind of you, you know, again, again, we, we've all talked. The, the, the biggest negative about Bob Sanders, I mean, he, he, was, he was so instrumental in the Super Bowl run in 06, and then he's a defensive player of the year in 07. But he... In, he played with the Colts for seven seasons, 112 games. He missed 64 games. That's four seasons that he missed with injuries. And he, he's he's the, the one player I always say that on my what-if team, if-only team, if he stays healthy, we're having a discussion. Not Ed Reed. Ed Reed's other world. But we're talking Troy Palomalo and people like that. He was that good that got to on the field. No doubt. So, as I said, we heard from a couple of Colts rookies this week um, after all of them signed officially to the Colts roster for 2020 and beyond. Uh, a couple of interesting guys in the second round taken. First, wide receiver Michael Pittman Jr. out of USC, and uh, then running back Jonathan Taylor out of Wisconsin. We'll start with Michael Pittman Jr., and then we'll swing around to running back Jonathan Taylor. So, here is Michael Pittman Jr. speaking with the media this week. 
you had several different quarterbacks at USC during your career there. Are, is there anything from that experience? That, I know it's a different level now, but is there anything you can carry over now as you try to, to learn a new quarterback, especially in what's become a really condensed offseason? Yeah. Um, so that approach that I took is just um, just taking – I'd say just taking, like, responsibility – um, and don't blame it on it being a bad throw or late throw, just like catch it. So, so that's kind of the mindset that I have after that experience. Zach Kiefer. Hey, Michael, um, with the challenges of the off season, and I know you have only had a couple months with the team. What have you gotten out of the last couple months with the Colts? I mean, I know you've been working out with Jacob Eason out West and, and I know you guys have had a lot of meetings. Have you been able to, get a lot out of them oh yeah I mean I mean like it just gives us more time to learn the offense and those small mental cues and keys that actually that actually um, make plays work so it so in a sense it almost helps us more because we Joel Erickson how do how those those throwing sessions with Jacob Easton come about, and uh, what did you kind of get out of those with throwing with him and Desmond? Yeah, so I knew that they were both out there, uh, so I texted them, and that's pretty much how it started. Like I just said, hey, like, like I just texted them, and I was like, hey, like, let's throw, and and um, and um, through that, we basically just like developed um fellowship and just like a and like just like a early a uh, early relationship and uh it's just good to like know people before um before you move out to a place that you've never been so it just gives you a sense of like belonging i guess because you already have that i guess so like it so yeah so like it so it was a um, it was a good deal, so it's a good thing that um, we did that. Dave Griffiths. Hey, Michael. Kind of along those same lines, you told us a couple months ago after you got drafted that you felt like Indy was a good fit for you, and now that you've been through meetings, you've got to know more people in the organization and other rookies uh, as well. Just what can you say now about uh, the fit uh, being here with the Colts? Yeah, I mean. Um, actually, so the first day I was feeling kind of homesick. And then after that practice, I felt good. Um, I felt like I was home. I felt like all of my, um, I felt like all of my, um, all of, all of my teammates were uh, very um, welcoming and it just made everything easier because everybody is so cool. So um, I think that we have a real um, family style team and, um, and um, I can't wait. Andrew Walker. Hey, Michael. Um, I know you're going to be expected to line up really anywhere, but Frank Reich said he really envisions you primarily in that X receiver role. Um, just a couple quick questions. What are some of your primary responsibilities in that, role specifically and, and how do you feel that suits your game? Yeah, so um, probably the X responsibility is to go deep, to block, run slants, goes and posts, um, and really just like have those like tough down catches. And I feel like that's what I can do because I am a big body, strong, fast guy. And uh, I feel like that's like, I feel like that is made for me. So um, I'm excited for it. And I just had a quick follow-up. Um, do you expect to face a lot of press coverage kind of lined up at the outside? And where are you kind of at in terms of shedding that press coverage off the line? Um, I don't really know what to expect because I haven't really studied other teams yet. But um, it's probably just going to be a mix of both um, in terms of, like, shedding press. Um, I think that I'm good at it. And uh, – uh, yeah. Jim Milo. Hey, Michael. Uh, just wanted to ask about the receivers coach, Mike Groves. We, we haven't really got a chance to, to know him yet and was wondering what it's been like working with him and, and how he's been able to help you so far uh, early on in this process. 
Yeah, so Coach Grow is a very knowledgeable coach. Um, I've learned basically everything from him. Um, and just learning the new language, details, route concepts. Um, and I think that he's doing a um, – I think he's doing a um, very good job with us and um, with the um, vet guys. Stephen Holder. Hey, Michael. Um, I'm wondering uh, if you could speak to this. Like, what is kind of the, the challenge of, um, like, asserting yourself and, and, you know, being really confident in yourself as a rookie, but, but also, you know, kind of having that balance, like, I am a rookie, and I got to, yeah. you know, sort of ease into this, especially when you don't have an offseason in person. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, and, and you yeah absolutely. Yeah, so you have to be confident but you can't, you can't be like, so I say you got to be confidently quiet. So you have to be confident enough to make plays, but when a vet says something, you have to be confident enough to take that constructive criticism and you have to know your place. So, and uh, that's something that my dad taught me. And uh, it's something that, it's something that makes sense to me. Like, I don't really take it as like, oh, like he's trying to, like, he's like, he's like, um, he's trying to embarrass me. Like, I like just take it like he's treating me like he treats every other rookie. So um, just, just like, don't get in your feelings and uh, be quietly confident. Mike Chapel. Yeah, Michael, I assume you're in town, correct? Yes. When did you get in town? I got in town on Monday. Is it, again, without having all that you've done on Zoom, which is invaluable, I guess how important has it been to at least get out there with Philip and so many of the receivers and sort of feel like, you're, I don't know if you say not more of a part of the football team, but you're more out there doing what you're supposed to do. Yeah, so basically this week has almost made it real because, like, up to this, I hadn't been here. I hadn't really ran routes with anybody except for um, Jacob and um, Dez. So it just makes it more real, and also it helps us get those physical reps because – they don't always look the same when they're on paper. Have you had a chance to work with T.Y. yet? Has he been in town? Uh, yeah, so uh, T.Y. is um, around, um, and I've actually learned a lot from him. So, uh, like, I'm just, like, looking forward to getting with him and just, like, learning more from him. Thank you. Mike Wells? Hey Michael, um, obviously, with your you get you got a background NFL background with your father playing, but you spent some time, a lot of time with PJ, um, working out with him. What's what's mm -hmm. the biggest advice he he has given you as far as preparing for playing his position in the NFL? He says that nothing else matters except release and top of the route. So just like really focusing on that and really just keying into those skills. And uh, pretty much just polishing them up and uh, being the best that I can be, like, in that facet. George Primer? I think after the draft, uh, Jim Irsay mentioned your name compared to Reggie Wayne. Wondering, one, how you feel about the comparison, but, two, are there any receivers who you kind of base your game on? Anyone you pattern what you do after? Yeah, I mean, when um, – so when – Mr. Ursay said that, like, that was probably, like, one of the biggest, um, the biggest compliments that I've ever gotten from, like, a coach or owner. Um, and I try to model my game after – well, I don't really model after anybody because I don't want to try to be somebody else. Like, I have to be the best Michael Pittman. But guys that I like to watch film on and kind of just see what works for them, Mike Evans, Mike Thomas, Julio, Brandon Marshall, um, Larry, uh, Larry Fitzgerald does, like, really good stuff. 
Um, and I say those are my guys that I like to watch that I think I have similar traits to. So, uh, yeah, those are my guys. Joel Erickson. Hey, uh, is the entire rookie class here for the uh, for the players only workouts? And just like how many how many guys you guys have out there? Is it pretty much? Ultimate? Yeah. So we have a um, decent sized group. So like it's like not a big group, uh, but we have enough to get good work in. So so that's pretty much like how we're doing it. Steve Holder. Uh, along the same lines. Um, when you when you get an opportunity to actually do some some on field work, does it give you a sense of where you're at? Because you've been talking about classroom stuff up to this point, and in theory, and now that you're actually doing it, how how is it going? Do you feel like you're able to yeah carry out? Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like everything is going good. Um, I feel like there's always going to be things that need to be um, worked on, uh, things that need to be um, ironed out, which is going to come with being with um, being young, but for the most part, I feel like I got a grip on what we're doing. That was Colts rookie wide receiver, Michael Pittman Jr. Now let's hear from running back, Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan, how are you doing? I'm doing well, how about yourself? First question, and not really a question, but are you in town yet? Yes, sir. Okay, okay. I'm curious, we, we've talked to, uh, both Frank Reich and, and, and uh, Tom Rasman about how they're going to, you know, they envision using you and Marlon. They say it's not a one-two attack. It's a one-one attack. That's how they're going to approach it. When is the last time in your career that you shared time? I mean, was it back as a sophomore in high school? I mean, I, I shared time in college. I mean, if you if you look at it, I mean, there are times where we have Garrett Groshek in for an entire drive. We had times where we even have Nakia Watson in for an, an entire drive. And then there's some times where we're in Pony. We're in 21 Pony. Me and Groshek are in at the same time. Uh, so it, it, it's not nothing new to me. I mean, it's just, it's just awesome being able to, to be here and especially being around experienced guys. I mean, we got Phillip Rivers. I mean, legendary quarterback, Hall of Fame quarterback. You got Marlon Mack, who's an experienced, you know, top rusher. I mean, you look at the film last year. I mean, he's, he's out there. He's making guys miss. He, he's, you know, taking it outside, taking it inside. So just being around a bunch of experienced guys, I think I couldn't have ended up, couldn't have ended up in a better situation because I'm around so much experience. So I know there's just so much for me to take from everybody, just little bits and pieces of nuggets of knowledge. Just a quick follow-up. Even though there were, there were times that other running backs got a series or two, you still probably averaged 25 carries a game at Wisconsin. Will it take an adjustment to not get – that much and sort of take what you can get during the season? No, I think it's another level of focus here. I mean, you think about in college, you're, you're already focused. And, you know, especially when you're your second, third year college, you're kind of ready. You know what to expect. I mean, it's even another level of focus at this level. I mean, I can just already tell it's – you don't count the reps. You make the reps count. So whenever you're in, you're on. Make sure you're 100%. I mean, you think about it, you're a professional now. Like, you know, when people are at her, she likes everything correctly to a T as perfect as possible. And I'm taking the same approach here. I mean, whenever my number is called, I'm making sure that I'm on at all times because it's my job now. Thank you. Joel Erickson. Hey, Jonathan. Uh, Coach Rathman's kind of famous for being a stickler on ball security. And when we talked to him a couple of weeks ago, he was saying that you and him have already kind of talked about that and gone over film. What what, what was your impression of of just his, the way he approaches ball security and how he can how he can help you? Like just how you said, he, he's a real stickler on it, and we're going through film. I mean, there are times where you, you think it's good support, good ball security. You're looking at the guy and you're like, yeah, that's like that's good ball security, and he's saying, hey, I think he actually could have been able to have it in this position a little bit better or even more. See this right here, you can eliminate that right there. So. You know, just his knowledge of the game and, you know, him of him coaching me up, I'm real excited. And, you know, this just it's just about putting in the work as well. I mean, especially now through these Zoom meetings, I mean, there's nothing you can really do besides you got to go out there, you got to record, you got to show him, show him film. I think that's that's the biggest thing because I'm not there to get those physical reps. So I want him 
to to coach me up. I want those those coaching points. So I'm doing everything in my power to to get those coaching points any way I can without physically being there in his presence. What was that something at Wisconsin that you felt like you could improve on? Oh, most definitely. I mean, any any running back, that's something you you never want to happen. That's the one thing that you want to try and prevent from happening as a running back. And uh, of course, you know, like you said, he's a real stickler on it and, you know, he's great at it. So I think it was actually kind of perfect that I ended up in this in this position to be able to get high level elite coaching from a guy like Coach Rath uh, to be able to, to work on that. Bill B. Thank you for your time, Jonathan. Um, Thank you. Coach talked about how it's obviously not been advantageous for you not having many camps or not having time. Uh, I, I guess the question is, what have you done or to what extent have you gone to try and bridge that gap? I mean, I know I've seen a video on Twitter, drills, but where's your head, head and body been at in terms of getting ready even though you can't be with the guys? Yeah, so I think the biggest thing is um, speaking with the strength and conditioning staff, you know, making sure that I'm following their program to a T uh, just to make sure that I'm trying to put myself in, in the best position possible in a time like this. And like I mentioned earlier, as far as the football aspect, I'm sending in film to, to coaches of me doing specific drills just because that's the, that's the only way you're really going to get those one-on-one key coaching points without actually being there because they can't see you do the drill. So the only thing that you can do to get those coaching points is kind of send those uh, films in. So I think that's the, those are the two biggest things is, you know, staying in touch with the strength and conditioning staff and nutrition staff, making sure that I'm following the plans um, correctly that they sent out. And then also, you know, sending in that film to coaches so that they can coach me up uh, through film really. Quick follow how do you feel today? I feel great. It's uh, I'm alive. You know, I'm an Indianapolis Colt. Uh, it, it, life is good right now. I mean, we're we're moving in the right direction uh, as far as you know everything that's going on. As far as uh, you know, trying to stay safe. It's uh, it's been a wild time since I think March is when March is when it kind of really kicked in. Um, so you know, just continuing to use precautionary measures wherever you're going, mask. Um, and just trying to, to maintain. Thank you. Jim Allo. Hey, Jonathan, thanks for taking the time. Oh, thank, I, you. Uh, thank you very much. Yeah, I just wanted to ask, I mean, have you, have you got a chance to talk much to Marlon and, and, and kind of what's that relationship been like for, for you guys right away? And then the follow-up is, is just, I know that you've already, our coaches already talked about splitting carries, but do you see this as a, just a, a competition that you're entering in going into the, going into the season? Yeah, I've definitely got to speak with not just Marlon, um, a lot of the other backs, especially asking those guys uh, about the surrounding areas and towns. Uh, especially in a time like this, it's hard to kind of find a place when you're not able to actually physically go to that place and check it out. I hate just going off of pictures. I know some people could just go on pictures online and say, oh, this looks like a nice spot and, you know, just go from there. I actually want to feel the vibes inside of, you know, the potential place that I'm going to be staying at. So those guys have been definitely helping me out um, on and off the field. You know, if I ever got any questions, I just shoot it to those guys uh, and they'll, they'll get back to me, you know, as soon as possible. So that's also, that's been fun. But, you know, especially on the field, I mean, we've been able to, to, to really help each other out. I mean, they've been helping me out, but there's definitely been times where they've been helping each other out. And I think that's the, the best thing. You're only strong as your weakest link. So coming in as a rookie, I'm trying to make sure that, you know, I'm trying to push my, my limits to, to new heights uh, to equal the NFL level um, just because I know that it, it takes a room. So just to follow, so Marlon's been pretty receptive, and it sounds like that's what Frank said. He, he, you know, he was excited to have you there, but he's been pretty receptive to have you, to have, you, know, have you in the running back room with, with him. Oh, all the, all the running backs, they've been, you know, helping me out. Anything that I've had, I've shot multiple, you know, running back texts, you know, just to get, like I said, a variety of areas like, hey, like, you know, where should I live at? Where do you live at? Or, hey, what is this again? I'm going through some of my things, and it's just not quite making sense. So, I mean, it's definitely been fun so far. And the crazy thing about it is is we haven't really all been together yet for an entire week or so yet. Everything's been through Zoom for the most part. So that's actually kind of fun because I can't wait until training camp actually starts and we're around each other a whole bunch more. Olivia Ray. 
Jonathan, thanks for doing this. I um, wanted to get your thoughts quickly on the league deciding to make this Friday, Juneteenth, a holiday. Um, what that means for the NFL as a whole, and, and I guess what your reaction, your teammates' reaction maybe was to that ruling. Yes, I think it's definitely a step in the right direction. I mean, you think about, you know, they always say actions speak louder than words. So, you know, being able to take steps like, like you said, you know, putting June Juneteenth into effect, I think that's definitely steps in towards the right direction of, of the entire bigger picture. And it shows that, you know, they're actually moving towards, you know, creating that, that overall change or helping to, to create that overall um, change. So, I definitely think that's that's just a, a big part. You know, every no step is too small. I feel like you know when you're creating a, a bigger change, and I think this is definitely a great smaller step. George Bremer, Jonathan, thanks for your time. Uh, some of the rookies I know who are out on the West Coast together, they said they were able to get together and work out a little bit. Were you able to work out in any groups, or, or has most of your off season been solo? Yeah, most of my off season has been. Um, kind of solo besides, uh, you know, the only other rookies that I've ever, you know, been with have been, you know, the rookies that um, were on my team. You know, I had one rookie that was uh, at Wisconsin who was out in Arizona with, with me for a little bit. But as far as uh, that, I've been out there solo dolo. That's why I think it's been so critical for me to, you know, stay in contact with the coaches and um, really – make sure I understand everything that they're sending because, you know, a lot of times you can work off of each other, feed off each other. Sometimes someone might understand something that you might not have quite gotten. And they're like, Oh no, this is just what that means. So um, it definitely would have been fun to, you know, link up with, you know, a bunch of the other rookies, but circumstances didn't allow it. So I had to, you know, you have to work with what you got. Are you planning to take part in any of the players workouts this week? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I mean, shoot, this is one of the first times you're able to, you know, get together. And so far it's just been staying safe and working out. And now you get that, you know, have a little bit of fun getting around, you know, some of the guys you're going to be working with um, throughout the season. So I had to take advantage of this opportunity. Thanks a lot. Greg Doyle. Hey, Jonathan, um, what was the calculus in your decision to come out for the NFL draft when you could have blown that record up? that rushing record? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is uh, I took three things into consideration. I took um, accomplishments on the field, school, and timing. Timing as far as where did I feel like I was at, um, where did I feel like my coaches thought that I was at as far as my my development. And, you know, you really kind of look at those things. And, you know, you mentioned the record. You could stay for another year and try to get the record. Um, what are the what are the risk reward for that? What is the risk reward? Um, you go to you know your time at school. Are you far away from graduating? Are you very close to graduating? Did you graduate? Uh, and then you go into the timing. You know where do the coaches? Where do you feel like you're at? And where do the coaches feel like you're at? As far as your your development, do they feel like you're able to take that next step? Do you need that next level? You know coaching. Do they feel like hey maybe you need to stay another year maybe you might need to have a little bit more of a development um in your game so i think those three things um really weighed heavy on that decision and then overall it, it just came down to me sitting down and really thinking about the decision and all of those factors together and then just deciding that you know i was going to declare this year um, to come on in 22 draft how many hours away from graduating are you? And forgive me if you already have and I didn't know. No, I so saw I'm about 20 credits from graduating. Um, so those are like a semester and like two or one summer class. And so that's like school has never been a problem for me. I enjoy going to school. I enjoy learning. I've always did. So that was like kind of like, oh, okay, I can do that. that. That's not a problem for me. Yeah, in the recruiting process with Yale, did you ever get – far enough down the road where you actually had to apply and see if you can get in? Did you get, you know, just get accepted or not? Yes. Um, there in Harvard, um, I was actually, I was at Yale three times. That was, it was nice. It was nice. Um, and yeah, I enjoyed myself, you know, every time I went up there, that was tough. It was a tough decision to decide between, you know, Ivy league and, and the university of Wisconsin. Um, 
that was really that was a tough that was a tough choice. Yeah, it's tough for me too. Oh, one more question. Um, did you? That was a joke. Did um, taking a look at all your freshman year at Wisconsin and the the numbers you put up? Uh, confidence is one thing, but that was ridiculous what you did. I, I don't think I was surprised with the numbers. I think I was more surprised with the the my teammate. Um, I always talk about it. the first time I got in the huddle, the O line. You know they. They're behind me. I'm in front of them. You know, Tyler Biotis put his hand on my shoulder. He said, don't worry, JT, we got your back. So, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, no matter no matter what happens, they know I'm a freshman. They still have my back. They're not going to, you know, tell Coach, hey, he just messed this up or, or hey, get him out of here. They're like, we have your back. So, I think that kind of allowed me to relax a little bit more because going into it, you definitely were tense. You wanted to make sure you were – on point, 100%, making sure you follow every coaching point. And you still did, even when you had the support of your teammates, but it w you were kind of more relaxed because you knew that, you know, you're out there with those 10 other guys. So you feel real good and real confident. That was running back Jonathan Taylor. And Mike, I found it interesting that Taylor was uh, as as highly uh, – What's the word? He, he was very, he was a very smart kid. We'll just, I'll just say he's interested in him. I can't even imagine what he would have done uh, in in one of those fields in the Ivy League if he did what he did. Oh my goodness! Like danger, danger zone. But yeah, well, he had he had six thousand yards in three seasons at Wisconsin, which yeah. is I went back and looked, and his, his three seasons at Wisconsin and his last two at was it. Salem High School or North Salem High School, he rushed for 10,000 yards and, a, and 100 touchdowns. So a special, special player. And this isn't a guy that did it, like you said, at a, at a small university against, you know, insignificant defenses. Big Ten, pretty good. Uh, the Colts really like what they got with this kid. Yeah, I know that, that Joe, the um, the idea that Wisconsin uh, offensive line can create, I, I could average five yards per carry behind a Wisconsin offensive line. I know that idea is out there, but you, you look at all the all the runs that Taylor had where, I mean, you break into the secondary, sure, but you outrun people in the secondary and go 70 yards, 80 yards to the end zone. And that that's what attracted the Colts to him specifically, that big play, explosive capability to be able to turn those uh, those gains where you can break through the offensive line to where you go to the distance. Absolutely. I mean, there's there's been a lot of productive running backs at Wisconsin, but none that have done what Taylor has done, which kind of goes to show that it's not all the offensive line. Um, and, you know, Colts have a pretty darn good offensive line too. So I think just Taylor run, running behind that line with his, like you said, four three nine speed at 220-plus pounds, the Colts found themselves a stud at pick 41 overall in the draft. And um, honestly, we could be looking back in a few years and wondering why he lasted that long. And I think I mean, I even tweeted out during the combine when I was watching Jonathan Taylor, uh, well before we knew that he would be a Colt, I, I said that he was a first-round talent at running back. He, he, he looks the part. He tested the part. Uh, I, I, I really think that, that the Colts, I, I, at that time I was saying, hey, whoever gets him is going gonna, is, is gonna to be really happy, and hey, that's the Colts uh, who, who got him. And we anticipate that he will get plenty of play, as will Michael Pittman Jr. Um, a guy, Mike, uh, that uh, Colts owner Jim Irsay had uh, through shades of comparison to Reggie Wayne in, in, when he was talking about him. And uh, I, I, I like, it, it's a fine comparison. They're obviously different players, but what stuck out to you about uh, what Michael Pittman Jr. had to say this week? Very confident player. He said, somebody asked me about being, asserting yourself as a rookie, you got to be confidently, you know, well make plays, but when vets talk to you, don't take offense to the fact that maybe somebody says, hey, you should have done this different or whatever. So we'll see. I, I think it's really, it's, it's interesting. We've been looking for that second wide out for a long time. I mean, whether it's, uh, who, who was the guy last year, the uh, free agent guy? I'm, I just I just lost his, his name. Um, so who was that again? I'm sorry. Devin Funchess. There you go. Yeah. And we can go back to, to uh, Philip Dorsett to where this offense needs a second receiver. Don't put so much on T.Y. And and all of a sudden, you've got Paris Campbell coming back. So I, I just like this setup. Of course, we, we talked last year. I, I really liked the, the wide receivers going out of camp last year and then all the, the, the injuries hit. But Pittman, 6'4", 220-some, he's what they've not had. 
Reggie Wayne wasn't 6'4 and 220. Uh, but if he can do what Reggie did in the field, then they've got a keeper. We'll take it, no doubt. Uh, and there, there will be opportunities for uh, wide receivers and pass catchers might not be quite as ample as uh, if they run as much as I think they're going to run with both Marlon Mack and Jonathan Taylor back there. Um, you're going to have to be on point uh, to, to get looks in this offense, Joe, because you have T.Y. Hilton. And assuming everyone stays healthy, of course, you have Paris Campbell. You have at tight end Jack Doyle and Trey Burton. Uh, so Michael Pittman Jr., it's, it's not a foregone conclusion that he's going to be this, uh, I think, even 50 catches his rookie year might be a pretty good number, I think. If you get that many and you get a couple of touchdowns, that's a good sign moving forward, especially with how many other talented guys are out there that have the ability to catch the ball. And like I said, if I think the Colts are going to run as often as they do, the opportunities for people down the line beyond T.Y. Hilton and Jack Doyle in the pass-catching uh, department might not be quite as, uh, quite as uh, populous, we will say. No doubt. I think the Colts are going to spread it around a lot, especially a um, guy like Philip Rivers. It's not like he's coming in here and he has any favorites or guys he's thrown to in years past. Um, so I, I think the Colts are going to spread it around. Um, Sirianni did say the offense still runs through T.Y. Hilton, so he is the unquestioned top dog in the offense. Um, but I, I wanted to get you guys' opinion. Who do you think is going to have a bigger impact year one between Pittman and Taylor? Um, another way to word it is if you had to remove one of them from the equation, who would you take out as, you know, who, who is more important to this offense? I think Taylor is going to see loads of play. I think that he's going to be used a, a ton. Like him and Marlon are, are going to be a one-two punch. I think by the end of the season, Taylor's going to be One-one punch. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> okay, okay, fine. I, I think Taylor's going to be the guy by the end of the season. I really do. I, I I, like like I said just a, a few minutes ago, I, I fell in love with this kid at the combine, and I, I think he's a stud. And so I, I highly, I, I would bet heavily if if I were a betting man on Jonathan Taylor to be the more impactful of the two in this offense, Mike. I, I, I would I would only disagree only because of the way Joe asked the question. If, if you could only have one in your offense, which would it be? And I would take Pittman because. Without Taylor, you still have Marlon Mack, who's in his fourth year, and you still have Hines, you still have Wilkins. So I still think the running game can be robust. Uh, and if if you don't have Pittman, I don't think the passing game can be what you want it to be. But again, with both of them, I go back to the last. You know, it, it's it's funny when you have two quarterbacks. As if you have two quarterbacks, you have no no quarterbacks. But that's not the, that's not the case at running back. Normally, you like to have who's the guy and let him get the 60% of the carries or whatever. I go back, I was just thinking the uh, 2006 season, Super Bowl, if you remember, uh, the starting running back the entire season was Dominic Rhodes, the veteran. And that year, the first-round draft pick was Joe Dye. He was the backup. And then when the playoffs started, who was your starting running back? It was Joe Dye. So they really did a really good job that year of blending in the rookie a die with with the veteran roads and it worked so uh but if i only had one i'd take Pittman because i think i could go i lean on mac if he stays on the field more than i could lean on the receiving game without that number two receiver yeah i think that's a really good point um that you know the wide receiver was the weaker position going into it but the impact that taylor is going to have is going to be massive Yards, probably more touchdowns. So it just depends on how you want to look at the question. Um, but 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 I think you're right. I think Marlon Mack is going to start the season as the starter, get more work. He's more trusted. Um, he's been there before. But as that season goes along and Marlon Mack starts to take a pounding, I think it's going to shift to Taylor. And especially with Mack in the final year, they're going to want to get Taylor's feet wet so he can just hit the ground running going into year two. Well, as we as we heard the, on the interview with Taylor. He, his money quote was, he says, you, you don't count the reps, you make the reps count. So while we're going to worry about how they divvy up the run, rushing attempts, at, at least Taylor, all he wants to do is when he's on the field is produce. we got to worry about our reps here on the Colts Blue Zone podcast. This is number 80, our 80th rep. So we thank you all for listening, who have listened from the beginning, and we hope to do 80 and 800 more. Well, I, maybe I speak for myself there. We'll see you <laughs> 
<laughs> now, uh, we, we do thank you for listening. If you have not subscribed to the Colts Blue Zone podcast, please do that. Get us delivered to your listening device every week when it drops, usually on a Thursday afternoon. Um, you can follow us, as I've said before, on Twitter at Colts Blue Zone. Mike Chappell is at mchappell51. I am at DaveG underscore sports. Joe is at Rotor Street Joe. And we do thank you for listening to the Colts Blue Zone podcast. <laughs>